Welcome to episode eight of the Hoops Thread Podcast. I got my my good friend Johnny Carpenter here of the UVA uh, men's basketball program. Johnny, how are you? Doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on, man. Great to have you on. So just to give the listeners an idea of how how I got to know you um, briefly, uh, I I worked for Syracuse doing a video with the men's basketball department. That was three years ago now, and I was able to meet Johnny um, in that role. Um, after a game, he just kind of came up to grab the, the video equipment. And I mean, I really want to thank you in general for being kind of a person that can, you know, bounce ideas off of or talk to about uh, the profession. Um, I mean, your your character and kind of how friendly and helpful you were from the, the get-go um, has been really awesome to me and really separates you apart from a lot of the coaches. That are, oh, thanks, that are man. The appreciate that. Really appreciate that. So let's uh, let's just get started and, and talk about how uh, you know how you got to UVA and um, how you got to the role you're in now. For sure, and I'll just kind of run through quickly so we can kind of hit on some of the more important things. But I was fortunate enough to early on. I never didn't really know what was going to happen when I first got to college. I played sports a lot in high school, and when I came to a big school like UVA, I'm an in-state kid, so academics, cost, all those things played a factor. And I was fortunate enough to just be kind of alert to being in the dining hall one day, kind of maybe within the first week of of being on grounds. That's what we call campus at UVA. But I was at one of the dining halls, there's a little table tent that says men's basketball needs managers. And it was really funny because probably two weeks before I came to college, I have a twin brother named Mikey. And we were just talking about, man, what are you going to do without sports, all that stuff. And I was like, how funny or how cool would it be to be a team manager? They literally just had this conversation, and I think Mikey helped speak it into existence. But um, I was fortunate enough to just email um, the contact on there, interviewed back then. I think it was like maybe 20 people or just a couple spots. And it was, this is actually Coach Ben's first year, so 2009, 2010. And I was able to kind of become a manager, um, just cleared out my schedule pretty much just to make sure I could – accommodate practice like as soon as that was kind of I figured that might be the most tangible thing they just need help at that point and four years of student managing from 2009 to 2013 then I was a GA for our women's program under coach Joanne Boyle 1314 wrote a letter to coach Carlisle and turned into a job um, offer we just struck up a good friendship and that turned into a position with the Dallas Mavericks um, as assistant video coordinator Um, and that's where you kind of the NBA is fun where you can have as long as you maintain your responsibilities you can kind of branch out and do all sorts of other things within the team so being heavily involved on court um, and then after that year there was movement on the coaching staff at UVA so it felt like a chance to maybe go to the final four before your Syracuse <laughs> squad of Malachi Richardson those guys crushed our dreams <laughs> on those last eight minutes that one, that one I'm telling you that one still stings but um, came back as kind of video coordinator, basketball technology assistant um, for a few years and then was bumped up to director of player personnel, which still means I handle a lot of the video responsibilities, but I've been able to kind of gain some more opponent scouting, some more things I was kind of used to doing when I was a video guy with the Mavs. Um, so it's been a really amazing. I can't believe, I mean, just turned 29 a couple, what, a month ago or less than a month ago, about 10 years ago, over 10 years ago is when I first became a manager. I can't believe the whole ride from, I mean, even the past couple of years, UMBC loss, right? You number one overall seed, seeing that program get to that kind of upper echelon, right? The one thing that we hadn't really done, crack that number one overall seed, lose to UMBC, year later title, next year tournament's canceled. So it's been <laughs> kind of an amazing three-year summary, but um, that's kind of been the ride. So one thing that really stuck out to me, um, I read an, an article um, by Whitelaw Reed for uh, UVA Today that was super helpful. So shout out. Um, one thing that really stuck out was that, that he said that, you know, in that manager meeting when, when Coach Bennett kind of popped his head, um, like you will be treated back. So talk about, you know, working for him and, you know, how it's different than, than a lot of the coaches in the country and, and uh, the that um, that he's put together at, at UVA. Yeah, Coach Bennett, I remember when he poked his head in, like, you, I mean, we all, everybody in the room knew who he was and 
even those who weren't the most familiar with college basketball, they knew he was the head coach and what that means in, at a university, small town, all that stuff. And just to hear how much he valued, and you could just hear the genuine, just love and desire for student managers. And he always said, and he said it jokingly, but he really meant it to. He told the players, told everybody. So if you really want to see him mad, be disrespectful to a student manager and see what happens. And it was just kind of unbelievable to see a guy who's literally at the top of his profession. I mean, even come, going back from there, he had just won a Naismith uh, Coach of the Year, Washington State, and former NBA player, all those different things. And yet he's just the most, he's so humble, treats everybody with the utmost respect. And I, I mean, I was even surprised like early on. I remember, I think it was on the clock, maybe within the first week of my freshman year. And I'm there and I'm doing everything. And I hear somebody yell, Johnny, Johnny. And I'm like, who's saying my name? And it was coach. And I think I had the big deer in the headlights. Look like, oh my gosh, he's talking to me, right? Like, um, so it was just one of those things where it's just been really neat to see. And I mean, as a manager, you hear other um, programs and stuff kind of like you hear stories from other managers and those managers tell you like, it's not the best experience, but I, it's, I felt bad because I'm like, well, all the coaches know our names and all the, all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, it was just a really, really neat experience to be able to um, be at UVA and just to see how someone who is at the top position treats everybody so well. And I think it just helped kind of build an amazing culture from the players all the way down. You, there's a camaraderie there. There's no egos. You see, even as we've graduated now, those classes, the managers, the staff members who've come and gone, the players, all of them, we're all still in touch. And it's just like this really, really big family. But I think it starts by being able to treat everybody with the same level of respect. I'm sorry, my, my roommate was uh, in, got into that shot. So sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I got, I got my, my dog going, going hard on the street on the floor. So we're fine. Um, one question I have about Coach Bennett is, you know, how does he handle, you know, giving out criticism and dealing with um, – let me pause this for a second. Yeah, Coach just keeps it real. He just keeps it 100. He's never going to sugarcoat anything, but he will just keep it to you straight. I think that's something that our players have really grown to appreciate because his whole belief is, biblically speaking, is kind of truth and love, like, he always says wounds from a friend are better than kisses from the enemy. So he wants to, to show you that he cares about you, but he's going to tell you the truth, whether it might sting, whether it might be something, a compliment or things like that. So I think he's always keeps it, just keeps it real, keeps it 100. And there's no, there's no sugar going. There's of any kind. He treats everybody the same. I think that's kind of the, the best thing in terms of he treats everyone with the same level of respect. He obviously knows how to motivate different individuals in their unique ways but um i think so within that there's always a level of truth but then how is it delivered some players might need the fiery side to get them going some will need the compassionate side he just has that kind of sixth sense that some of the elite coaches have of knowing exactly what type of coaching each player needs but at the end of the day it always boils down to truth honesty out of a place of care and wanting them to know not what they want to hear but what they need to hear and that's kind of the best thing i think initially it can come off as i want to say abrasive but like a little bit of a reality check for kids that have been told since they were 12 years old that they're all going to the nba and they're all going to do this so for someone to actually speak truth to them i think they end up appreciating how refreshing it is gotcha. absolutely Talk about – let's go back real real quick to the, the Mavericks and, and your time with Coach Carlisle. You guys got pretty close. Um, talk about kind of the X's and O's that you learned from Coach Carlisle. Like, what did you pick up from him and, and bring back to UVA with you? Oh, man, Coach Carlisle is an absolute basketball savant. He's a genius. He studies the game and thinks the game, especially offensively, on another level. And you can even see – I don't think he gets the, the praise he deserves um, – especially when you see the Mavs numbers on a point of position basis this past season, it's been astronomical. Like he's getting criticized for not putting Porzingis closer to the basket, but I mean, Porzingis has been a beast away from the hoop and it's opened up the floor for other guys and the Mavs have done such amazing things. And 
over his whole career. It's a track record of just offensive genius. Um, his work ethic is something that stuck with me and I tried to kind of bring back and emulate the guy just studies. He's very focused, very intense. Um, but he just thinks of basketball almost as the way I feel like research professors or scientists would be in a lab. Like he's, that's how he's always drawing, but he's always thinking of ways to challenge himself. And that's something that I always thought was unique. Like he's a master with a piano, but to keep his skills sharp, he makes sure that he's on stage with like people like Bruce Hornsby and things like that. So he goes and he puts himself in these pressure situations to mimic the pressure situations in games. Like his entire philosophy is just really cool of how he integrates everything in his daily life to learn and apply into coaching. So I think that's something that's really unique. Um, when you get into some of the stuff that we did a lot of actually this past year, a ton of, um, which is a mix of some of the international kind of more step up ball screen. But so um, we've had some of our staff members bring different ideas and some of the spacing. But um, I remember some stuff from the Mavs back in 14, 15, man, we were running a lot of step up ball screens, pick and pops, things like that. Um, so those are some elements a lot. He was running the, some people call it the smoke screen or the ghost screen. He was running that well before it kind of became the favorite play of colleges the last two seasons. So those are just some different elements. And he loves the two, the two point guard thing, which I mean, I think Nova picked it up during their championship run. UNC's picked it up. Um, Shoot. We had two point guards. I mean, I, I didn't even think about that, but with like Kia Clark and Ty Jerome being able to be on the court together. I mean, when you got two ball handlers like that, and I guess he, yeah, with him was JJ Barea and, Devin Harris back in the day. So, quick question too about um, a lot of coaches run a whole bunch of plays with a lot of counters. This generation, I feel like, struggles to remember those plays, and yeah. uh, especially as freshmen. Um, what's something that either Coach Bennett or Coach Carlisle, you know, does to, to counteract that to, to try to help with that? I mean, is it just a repetition thing that they need to rep it out, or there's some tricks that they do? For sure, I think. They're both, I think they have two different philosophies. So, sorry, Coach Carlisle. Um, he, we, the, in the NBA, there's so, so much more office, there's more time, there's a, less going on outside of basketball. Right? It's, it's all, I don't say all basketball, it's basketball, and then there's family life. There's not basketball, and then chemistry tests, and physics tests, and yada, 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 right? So, at that level, there's a baseline of Players need to know more plays and more sets and things like that. And I think more time is probably spent on the offensive end, but naming is big and being able to kind of have that flow with with your personnel of being, knowing flipping through plays. But I would always remember how he would kind of run through multiple sets, whether it was five on O or, hey, go into this. All right, now in this, within this set, go into this set or whatever, just to get the guys thinking. And the ability to recall plays kind of from – scratch or cold call there's yes there's the dummy walk through and then go run it down but it's more of like that live situation all right now run this all right now run this into this and those are the things that help build the kind of retention needed at that level so i was always impressed by that with coach um carlisle and then coach bennett coach bennett's more of kind of having offenses rather than sets and it's a little bit of organized type chaos and even coach carlisle has more kind of couple of read-based, principle-based offenses that we run, that we ran. Um, but with Coach Bennett, it's more of our kind of different types of sets. Or I shouldn't even say sets, different types of offenses. Block and mover stuff. Yeah, some of it's block or mover, but then we have a couple other things, kind of offenses, so it's not just set plays, that within it, our guys know the right reads to make, and we try to teach them how to play because it's – harder to scout and stop you know if you're able to kind of figure out what they're doing in their main four sets you're going to frustrate a team but if it's the same thing but it's still always hard to guard and our players kind of figure out how they're guarding it we'll be able to counter and then the defense will adjust and we'll be able to counter so two different philosophies with that but i think both were extremely successful in it it's yeah kind of I really... there's a ton of sets and if you do that you have to be able to give them ways to recall that information um, mm -hmm. over time that's proven 
through any type of like behavioral psychology. That's kind of what Coach Carlisle's one of some of his experts. He was going to go into psychology if he hadn't gone to coaching. And then uh, Coach Bennett's more of the, I want to teach them how to play principle based, but different types of spacing. Some of it, like one of everyone talks about our blocker mover, but even our ball screen continuity or something like there's rules and elements to it, but then there's a little bit of freedom and wiggle room. So it's almost like organized chaos in a way. Okay. Gotcha. I really like you guys, uh, side elevator stuff that you, that you used to oh. pop open Kyle guy for a lot of screens. Like yeah, the, Coach one the, the one Coach in the Duke Bennett. game at the end was, was amazing. Oh man. Coach Bennett has so many cool little wrinkles out of those quick hitters. And those are things that we will walk through and we'll walk through and we'll tinker and adjust and, um yeah at duke was one i remember vcu there was some first um was it auburn i think there was a really good one that people i saw on twitter people were kind of clipping out i think it was to the right wing um and yeah and then i think i think it was ones that you at unc um when we won i think it was 18 19 um there was some we kind of like decoyed (laughs) the one of the screeners to make it look like it was going to be an elevator then flew them off the opposite side and they were kind of totally lost Kyle and Kyle. I think that's the one I saw yesterday where, where McAdoo got lost. He, he came up too high on the switch. And I yeah. think you guys hit him back there. Coach is a beast with his elevator screens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talk real quick about the pillars, too, because I think that's really unique. Oh, everything starts. It's not words on a wall. I know that a lot of programs have their own – I mean, some will pick, hey, here's – what everybody gives us a word, and we'll put the words on the wall. That's not the pillars. The pillars are something so much more to this program. It's what I think everybody that coach chooses embodies the pillar from players to staff to any parents, everything. Like that's the pillars are everything. So the five pillars are humility, passion, unity, servanthood, and thankfulness. And ever since we got here, those have been the building blocks. None of those words have changed. And we play a basket brand of basketball that, the pillars are the foundation of on both ends of the court and then off the court, the pillars are at the foundation of that too. So those are the building blocks of the program. I think everything starts with them. When you come to our facility, we have a little staircase that goes from the offices down to the practice gym. But the way we have it set up is that if you were to walk up it, the very first thing you see is the pillars and everywhere you go, you'll see the pillars, the locker room, film room, uh, players lounge in the players jerseys it's stitched in you, the, the pillars are everywhere and when you start at the bottom of the staircase you'll see the pillars and then on the right wall when on the first kind of incline up you see the first ACC championship and on the, the back wall you'll kind of see a history of the program the number of p- tournament appearances final fours elite eights the, the national championship the next side wall up on the second landings the second ACC tournament championship and then on the third little incline up is the national championship. And then the last thing you see is the NBA. And it's a wall of like all the NBA players have gone to Virginia, but in kind of bold and sticking out are the UVA coach Bennett um, players that played for coach Bennett. And it kind of just in a way is coach Bennett's way of telling the story of whatever you do with the pillars. If it starts with the pillars first, you'll be able to not only reach your dreams collegiately, but also beyond, but it all starts with the pillars, the pillars are at the foundation of it all. So that's something that I think we try to find in all of our guys when we're evaluating them, trying to bring them in or even staff. And even if just to kind of reality check of like, are we living by these pillars? We try to teach the pillars. I mean, even as players and staff will sit down and we'll even discuss what does humility mean? What does passion mean? What does servanthood mean in terms of, giving your best for someone else and being there kind of like sacrificing something for someone else. Um, thankfulness, having the kind of attitude of gratitude and uh, then uh, passion, unity, servanthood, thankfulness. Yeah. So those are the five. Yeah. Um, let's, let's switch to switch gears to recruiting. So when, I mean, you guys do it a lot differently than a lot of programs um, as far as offers go, we'll get to that in a second, but, when I hear a lot of coaches say, when we recruit a guy, we're looking at their personality, we're looking at their character. Um, how do you guys look into their personality and their character? Like, who are you asking? You know, are you looking on social media? Like, how do you figure out if, if a guy is a UVA fit? 
For sure. Great question. So Coach Bennett's dad, Dick Bennett, who's also a, one of the best coaches, I mean, just a phenomenal mind. He's so wise. I highly recommend anybody watching this. Please go watch his recent kind of – I think he did one on uh, NABC's website. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal coaching clinic. The guy just – I mean, he's forgotten more basketball than I think I'll ever accumulate. Just such a genius, just so well-spoken. And um, he had a saying that when he's evaluating a player, he's looking for three things, athleticism, talent, and character. And for a player to kind of make that next stride, ideally they have all three, right? But they have to have two of the three at a minimum. But one of the two, the non-negotiable, is character. So the way we kind of evaluate it from an on-court perspective, if it's watching a game on film, or even just in person, we're not just making note of the stuff that happens in the game. That second that whistle blows, we're taking note of what happens afterwards. We're taking note of body language. We're taking note of, did they high-five their teammates? What happened there with the coach and the player or the player and the referee? Is he talking back to the referee? And all that stuff stands out now. And I mean, the quality of some of this film is almost like you're watching like an HD movie, right? Like you can almost read their lips. You can hear them, hear what they're saying. And over time, you start watching six, seven, eight, nine games, and you're building these kind of body language clips, uh, and that will tell you something. But then you're also obviously doing kind of more typical recruiting, background digging, and that's where the coaches and everyone's talking to their high school coach, their um, AAU coaches, assistant coaches. You know, it's in the same way that the NBA, when they're evaluating our guys, they'll do their research and kind of ask everybody from managers all the way up to the, the coaching staff to ask everybody what can you tell us about this guy and eventually a story will kind of be created based on all of the feedback they're getting that's the same thing we we do uh, but yeah social media is big got to make sure I mean right now at this point if there's social media has questionable things on it I mean that's a huge red flag um, just because I mean I think maybe in the late like 2009s 2010s i mean that's people were still posting stuff they didn't realize that college admissions or college teams would be looking but now that's almost the main form of communication nowadays and seeing what players are posting so you get a great feel for that right away of and all their interests you can find out so much stuff from social media absolutely um what is your role in recruiting yeah so our staff is does a great job. Coach Getter, Kyle Getter, he's awesome. He's our director of recruiting. And he is constantly scouring through um, reports and different things like that. Um, so from a right now, the NCAA only allows the head coach and the three assistants to be off campus recruiting, right? But the rest of us, we try to pitch in whenever we can for official visits or unofficial visits on campus. And there's then there's different rules about what prospects and of what, how we can contact they can call us those types of things of a certain age group and in, in year um can, can contact the non-coaching support staff which is kind of we all view ourselves as basketball coaches but by ncaa terminology that's what we fall under um but trying to evaluate you know make watch tons of games make edit tapes show them to the staff and kind of come up with our own will sit and talk. It's kind of like a little war room, right? Um, but over the past couple of years, I've been trying to spearhead some of the international recruiting efforts. I was fortunate enough to work with the Slovakia national team, U16, U18 teams, um, past two summers, U18 two years ago, U16 last year, and then two years ago, I also got to kind of run the U16 training camp and during that time, it kind of also allows you to kind of see some of the other prospects that are out there, um, international prospects kind of early. So I'm trying to do a, a good job just getting my eyes on that. So that's something I'm trying to take note of. And um, as a young guy, you're trying to constantly find ways to reach out and build your own network and things like that. So I think that's something that we kind of all just throw an all hands on deck approach. Um, and obviously everyone has their own guys, like, Certain people are better in D.C., certain people know Northeast better, certain people know the Midwest better. So, obviously, you just kind of find your niche 
and then you just try to help out wherever you can. Yeah, there's a, a lot of untapped potential overseas for sure, and that, that's, a, that's a good uh, niche to get in. Um, the next question is about, you know, offers. You know, some schools, you know, it's a shotgun. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of them going out. Um, some people, they'll, they'll kind of wait until, you know, schools of their level offer a kid before they reach out. Um, some schools will really, they'll, they'll talk to a kid consistently for a year or two and try to get to a, a certain point and then offer a scholarship kind of right before they make the decision so that they can get the kid. Talk about your offer process and, um, you know, do you guys have typical timelines of, you know, those meetings where you talk about, hey, should we offer this kid, where those decisions are made, who, who UVA is going to go after? Yeah, I think it's kind of unique, not to give a cop-out answer by any means, but I, do, do, I truly do believe it's a little – or it's unique to each individual kid and each individual circumstance. But as a whole, our philosophy isn't the uh, shotgun offer approach. We try to – we truly believe that kind of the offers – we want to mean something. Like, I think recruiting shifted where maybe 20 years ago when you were offering, it was kind of like if you're dating someone that's like – the proposal, right? Like, will you marry me? Yes or no, right? Um, but nowadays, it's almost kind of like the admission ticket to the entire recruiting. If you want to recruit us, right, we're, we're going to throw down a scholarship and now, all right, now you're allowed to recruit me, right? We still kind of believe in more of the older, I'll say old school approach, but we want the offer to really mean, we want it to be a true relationship because all these people are saying, we want to build a relationship, but the first thing they're doing is something transactional. We don't really view it that way. We want to build a relationship with you. If you're, if you catch someone's eye and they're like, this is the guy we want, well, for sure we'll throw him down. But we, we're a little bit uh, more reserved in that because we want to make sure that we're building the relationships the right way. We want to make sure Coach Bennett's got a chance to see you a couple of times and that you know what we mean, like that we mean business, that it's not like something that everyone else is doing. You have to find a way to, be different when everyone else is trying to do the exact same thing and being different might mean, man, why aren't you guys offering? Why aren't you guys offering? But we have our approach. Like, I know we don't have a ton of scholarships out there, offers out there, but that's part of kind of how we view it. Doesn't mean that we're not evaluating a ton of kids, but we just want those kind of offers to transcend. Are you selective um, in, are you selective in talking to those recruits too? Like, you're not going to really talk to them much until you get the offer or is that, I mean, obviously it's a case by case basis. That also just depends on each kid. Some kids don't want to, um, some kids are like, I'd rather you call some, I'd rather you FaceTime some, just a couple of texts every now and then. Um, and the interesting thing is, I mean, we're finding that like most kids now it's like FaceTime is what I feel like I say my generation, but like, was was what the phone call is like everyone will pick up a FaceTime they won't pick up a phone call right yeah. like that's just the name of the game nowadays which is so different for especially for some of the older coaches they're like why would I FaceTime shouldn't I just call them but it's it's different and basketball culture right now is more of like a FaceTime oriented culture less texting it's more um, Instagram DM Snapchat like that's almost kind of the main forms of communication now and we have to kind of continue to just adapt and evolve in that regard absolutely um, last question on recruiting. How has it changed since, you know, you guys have gotten to the top since you won the championship, um, since you started making it to the final four, since you started finishing, you know, winning the ACC and stuff like that, as compared to 2000, you know, 2010, where you're getting the program started. Um, how has your recruiting uh, changed as, maybe as far as the caliber of player that you can get? Or, or Honestly, I think we – kind of still target the same chip on their shoulder guys that we see, you know, like we're not really, we're, fo we're focused on if we can develop them in two to three years that they're going to have higher ceilings than the top up highest ranked kids. Like we try not to look at rankings, to be honest. We think the rankings are kind of ir irrelevant. They're kind of meaningless. They kind of sway people's opinions. We just want, we just want to know from our eyes, from watching film, character all that stuff and we don't want to get duped in all the rankings but I mean you look at some of our guys who are in the NBA right now on their what like I mean look at Ma Malcolm Brogdon signs a 80 million dollar contract what was he ranked as a recruit 
you know, like what was Joe Harris ranked as a recruit wins the three point contest and look at Mike Scott, what he's doing. Ty Jerome Kaga, like Deandre Hunter was the number four overall pick. He redshirted a year, played two and went from what in the eighties to number four overall. Like yeah. if you can find the right kids that have that kind of like drive, but also still have that potential, you know, you have to find that good balance of both, but there has to be a level of kind of innate tenacity and innate, almost like a desire of theirs that they want to make it to that level, but they also know it's just going to, it's going to take a couple of years, but those years will be worth it. And those are the kids that we try to kind of go after. For sure. UVA is really known for developing players. What are some keys to, to your guys' success in player development? Yeah, part of it's the players, you know, like yeah. the, the Malcolm Brogdon always pops in my head, right? And you'd come in early in the morning and it's, I feel like it's the same way people hear stories about Kobe. It's just like there's a ball bouncing. And, and back when I was a manager, I was doing a lot of stuff with Malcolm and it was, it was – it's nonstop, right? Like we'd be early morning, late night, all that. And then it was kind of cool to just see the progression of that. And Malcolm brings, like starts working with uh, Marielle Shire, couldn't have transferring, but is having a heck of a season. Um, shout out to Marielle, just a bucket getter. Um, but Marielle started working his tail off. And then Marielle and Devin Hall start working. And then Ty Jerome starts working. Like these guys just have, and DeAndre, like they have these incredible work ethics, man. That's part of it. I think how we play over time, there's a lot of practice that goes on, um, right? But our practice is so highly focused. Every single day, those guys are making a deposit in the development, right? And over years, and into how we play, like pocket passing is very similar to off of, off of a pin down. High or low is very similar to throwing a pocket pass off a ball screen. They're learning how to play, and they're developing these skills. And over time, all of those daily deposits help them accelerate their growth. It takes some time, but then the growth comes, and the best thing about that growth is it's never going to dip. It's not just going to be a blip on the radar and back down. Because you've built so much of that over time every day and how we play, how we practice, especially defensively too, that's what lasts. And I think John Wooden has a quote about that. He says, um, as you just read it, in, um, I think in Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, um, and he was saying, don't look for the big jumps in, in talent or skill development. He said, the big jumps aren't real. The, the jumps that happen are from consistent daily deposits. And when that jump happens, it lasts. And that's the most important thing. And that's our philosophy. We're not about trying to get guys to the league just so they can get to the league. We want guys – to reach their dreams in college, but don't just get to the NBA, last in the NBA. All those people who had you ranked in the 130th and now you're the NBA three-point championship or champion or NBA rookie of the year, you know, or look at Ty, look at Deanna Kaga, all these guys, man. Um, Devin Hall getting drafted wasn't the highest touted recruit. It's a, it's a testament to their work ethic and also kind of, the daily the approach that we do. And then after each season, we do go through a thorough evaluation of how they played that season using statistics, using film. Here are the areas to use your strengths, continue to hone in on these couple areas to improve. And here's a new frontier. We try to always throw a new frontier out to them just so that they're kind of like, you know what, that is cool. Like expand them. And also that we're not just putting them in these boxes. Um, so. Cool. Let's talk to you about, um, the, the time allotment in practice, you know, like how much of your time is spent on, you know, you know, rebound, talk about kind of how that breakdown typically. Yeah. Honestly, I'd probably say our practices are probably 60% of the time is more defense focused, maybe 40% is more offensively focused within that. Some of the defense is defensive rebounding. We'll, we'll try to stack. We call it habit stacking where, you're working on not only are you just working on one five hundred, you're working on maybe defensive rebounding on right defensive rebounding to five hundred, but then transition defense within the same drill. So it's multiple different things that we're trying to hit on. So it's not just an isolated 
now you're rebounding. We will do the buildup all the way from like first, just have your hands. All right, now turn, hit, fine. All right, now the person's going to go, is going to, we call it dancing. They're not actually going to crash. Now they're going to crash. All right, all right, now it's a live read. And we'll go through that um, pr- pretty consistently. Um, our practices, there's a little bit of um, variation in them, but for the most part, we do certain drills we'll do every day um, and how we'll build it up. Like we may want to, we know, may notice that we're our rebounding. It may not even be by numbers. We're just noticing guys are shedding our box outs. All right. So now we're going to lock in the next two, three weeks, build that up and we'll see the carryover later on. Yeah. I'd probably say like 60% of the time is probably defense forties um, probably related to offense, but we, we run very efficient coaches, very efficient with this practice time. There's not a minute wasted. And we'd rather be short in, in terms of duration, but of the highest quality than, I mean, I've heard some people go and they all, everyone signs those hours, things like hopefully they're actually abiding by them. But I've heard horror stories of like two and a half, three hour long practices. It's like, what, what can people learn in that time? I mean, yeah. the, the, the attention spans and even our brains, like only a certain amount of time are they able to stay focused. You gotta be able to, go through that stuff pretty efficiently. So I think that's something Coach Ben is probably a lead at. I, I was listening to uh, Chris Holtman talking about the Brad, like he still has all, I think Brad Stevens' old practice plans. And he was like, on this day, Brad Stevens went 35 minutes for practice. Like sometimes that's all you need, but it's so counterintuitive to what we've grown up with is, no, it has to, we have to get everything in today. We got to get everything in the next day. Grind. Yeah, it's like you gotta work smart, work smarter, not harder. Real quick, let's let's detour to a, a player from from the DMV, from from my area. Very glad to see him graduate because he was on a tear. His, his, I mean, his whole career, but his senior season. Casey Morrisall, talk about, um, you know, what what you guys expect from him next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we love Casey. He's got so much upside. Um, phenomenal on ball defender. I mean, he's got length. He is a shot maker. I think there's an adjustment period that everyone goes through, and especially with the line moving back for his class of high schoolers, that's not just moving back a little bit. They're adjusting for, like, another extra foot. I mean, that makes a real difference. So I'm sure his shooting number is going to come back up. Like, But he is very complete, very long, um, an athletic, high-ceiling guy. It'll be We're excited about it. We're, we really are we're very high on him. And we think he can do what he did in the WCAC. We think he can do that um, in, in uh, the ACC. Such a great kid, too. Definitely a character. Oh, phenomenal character, kid, man. So we'll great talk kid. about the 18-19 team in a second. But um, I thought it was really important to me. Um, Kyle Guy wrote a piece in the Players' Tribune about struggling with anxiety, um, especially after the UMBC game. Um, and on the mental side trying to get his mind right and you know practicing different relaxation techniques and stuff and a year later in uh in the, the semifinal game I believe it was against Auburn uh he hit a clutch three from each corner and then sunk all three free throws to steal the game from you guys talk about um how cool it was to watch that yeah it's, it was amazing to see and I mean mental health is is real it's it's a issue that I think in the last few years thanks to guys like Kevin Love to speaking speaking out um, for just raising awareness. I mean, it's, it's real and it's hard, you know, and um, so how, watching Kyle handle that and grow through that was just, I mean, you know, it gives you chills. It brings it to you. It warms your heart too all at the same time. Cause you're just so happy, not only for him, like reaching his basketball, even more importantly for helping kind of see that growth and see how strong he is to combat those, uh, those types of like anxieties and things like that. It's just awesome. Absolutely. There's a quote from Coach Bennett that I really like. He said, if you learn to use it right, the adversity, it will buy you a ticket to a place that you couldn't have gotten to any other way. Talk about the 18-19 team and their bounce back from it. The heart was beating pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, sorry. I think, I think you cut out there, but um, you're talking about the, that quote. 18-19 team and, you know, how they bounce back from adversity from, from the Yeah, UK. for sure. Um, in that TED talk, I highly recommend the TED talk. It's called the storyteller. I think it's Donald Davis is, that's the guy who the, um, TED talk where we got, where coach got that quote. Um, those guys, man, the, 
staff and players, we said, what can we do? Because if you – people say, like, oh, we're going to learn from this. But you're only going to learn if you actively choose to learn. You can't, Like, learning just doesn't just happen, you know? Like, none of us really wanted to watch that – rewatch that game, but we rewatched it that very next morning. We were, like, I mean, uh, Coach Sanchez and I watched it, like, early the next morning. I mean, like, 5 a.m. We just went back through what did we miss, things like that, how they beat us, all that stuff. And then we just continue now. What can we do to improve? And as a staff, it was, I mean, we did some stuff that year with where we had a one-two-two press. Who would have thought we'd ever go one-two-two press? I mean, with DeAndre Hunter, six-eight-seven-two wingspan up there, and Ty's anticipation. The guy it was kind of unique, you know. Like we tried to find ways that we could evolve. We opened up the floor with a ball screen continuity. Um, it was kind of just a we had to readjust ourselves. But we also said, hold on a second, let's not forget about the year we had we got to number one team in the country playing a certain way so there's some good now what can we do to kind of adjust from there um and also too deandre didn't play during that game too so it's almost like you can't just scrap everything you've done sure there's stuff that you need to adjust like you need to have kind of go to different something to open up the floor more um along with what you're running but find ways to continue like are there ways for you to do what you do like is there another way to do that same thing but just like slightly twist it find another way to do what you do well um so for us it was hey let's open up the floor a bit let's maybe get into some pressing and different things like that but then from individual players man those guys came back and they they wanted it they just they wanted to show everybody what this program was about i truly don't believe we would have won the national title if it wasn't for us losing that game because it in a way it kind of gave us an, a chip that you cannot you could never remove right mm-hmm. i mean even this during the quarantine i saw that that umbc game makes it to the final four of the best tournament games you know but um, i'm not biased but i think that our tournament run probably had three games better than that yeah the result was of course 16 over one um and that probably was the first 16 over one in men's basketball. There was also a 16 over one in women's basketball. So I want to make sure uh, <laughs> the original 16 over one gets there. Um, that 16 squad gets, I think it was Harvard right over Stanford that they get their shout out. Um, but let's talk real quick uh, about the, uh, the, a, a team that I really liked the 14, 15 team. I think that was actually the year that you were in Dallas. Um, yeah. Six guys that played in the league, Malcolm Brogdon, Justin Anderson, London Prantis. Mike Toby, Mario Shayok, and Devin Hall. And then you had really elite role players. I love Darian Atkins' game, absolutely. Like, he was such a monster defensively, rebounding, doing all the little stuff. And then Evan Nolte was another good role player. And then you had a great young player in Isaiah Wilkins. So Justin got hurt, you know, toward the end of the year, and you were working him back in. Uh, he lost to a really good Michigan State team um, around the 32. I personally thought that that team just had a bad matchup. And – if things had played out differently, uh, it could have been a Final Four team. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? And I mean, I'm not putting the the loss on Justin at all. The team didn't shoot well that day, but talk about working a guy back into the offense after he's hurt and kind of adjusting roles and offense and defense in minutes. Yeah, honestly, the NCAA tournament, you need luck. You need luck to win. I mean, as simple as that. You need matchups to go your way. I uh, I look back on some of, and once again, I'm biased too because of the but I try to look at it unbiasedly uh the 13-14 team is in an incredible matchup against Michigan State Anthony Gill then rolls his ankle and Anthony Gill is a absolute bad boy he will be in the league one day he's he's crushing it in the EuroLeague phenomenal guy uh, on and off the court and so rolls his ankle UVA loses to a really good Michigan State team Michigan State loses to Shabazz Napier that and then UConn goes on to win the title. You know that could have been a Final Four team. I think the fourteen fifteen team for UVA. They were decimating teams in the regular season, and then the chemistry. Just obviously, it's hard to bring a guy back in. But the guy was the previous year's ACC Sixth Man of the Year. He's a first round draft pick in the NBA. Um, it was just a tough matchup, you know. And um, I think there's always nerves as they're trying to figure out and there's that chemistry aspect, but. I think it was it was it was hard for at the time, but I think all of those losses, I'm telling you, helped contribute to what happened in 1819. Um, and then you think of 1516. Who thinks when you're up 14 with eight minutes to go that 
right before the fight, you know what I mean? In the elite I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> right? Like, but that just shows, and, like, you need a bit of – of like a couple of bounces to go your way. You just need them. You know, it's, it's a fact of fact of basketball, a fact of the college basketball, which makes it so fun. It makes it so rewarding and shows how hard it is to kind of be able to go to a final four, to go to a national championship. Malachi had some crazy, crazy shots in that game. Oh, um, man. he torched us. He torched us in that. Did the same thing that season. I believe it was in Charlottesville at the end of the game. He went on a little bit of a tear by himself at the end to bring the squad back. And oh, he did the exact same thing. <laughs> but, uh, oh, so your team has an elite defense every year. I think a really underrated component of a, of a great defense is communication. Um, I heard a quote, I think it was from Coach K, that, that a team that communicates is intimidating. And every game that I watch UVA play, um, it, I mean, it's loud, it's often, and you know, it, it's not just two or three players on the floor, it's all five. So talk about um, that and what makes your defense special. Yeah, in terms of communication, it's huge for our defense. And I go back to, I think, 13-14, Keel Mitchell, Darion Atkins, and then you got you get Isaiah Wilkins, uh, Malcolm Brown, DeAndre, these very, very good defenders. And you get vocal guys, Ty Jerome, all these guys, Devin Hall, these Jack Salt, man. Oh, what a – so loud. And we try to get our guys to communicate because – we want them to take ownership of it. So if they take ownership of, of it, they're going to care. They're going to communicate. We try to promote dialogue in a way that let's not take dialogue personally. Like if you make a mistake, own up to it. And we try, we'll like, there's times where some of our, our players have been right and we've been wrong as a staff, you know, and oh, we own up to it. You know, we can't take it personally. I think those are the things that if you can get your guys to buy into cerebral and not necessarily like emotional, communication that's the thing that stands out because if you prepare the right way guys love asserting their dominance over another team simple as that and if they can do it they're going to make noise about but they're going to communicate they're going to they're going to buy in if they feel the buy-in of what they've been preparing in test day they're going to crush it and that's kind of what our approach to it but it's very much a we over me offense and defense and team philosophy. So we're just, we're all on the same page and we need, we kind of need it. It's a very, the pack line is very much a bend, but don't break defense. We're going to bend, 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 but we're more times than not more possessions than not. We're going to hold you to zero points. And that's the goal, you know, and yeah. for everyone to do that, there's gotta be communication. There's gotta be great leadership. And it starts with a lot of those kind of defensive minded role players, but then, turns into like other leaders on the team stepping up to talk uh two more questions and then we'll kind of wrap it up and talk about your your career a little bit um what's one known you know like a famous coach and one you know you know maybe a rising coach or a guy that's getting there um that that really gives you guys problems and coach bennett you know you know i'm sure he loves playing against him because of the competition aspect but who's a coach that that really you know keeps him up at night yeah, you know, um, the guy, the teams that probably gave us trouble with, like, I don't know if there's one necessarily specific coach just because um, I'm trying to think, but honestly, you might laugh, but UMBC, I mean, that gave us fits, like, with how they were spacing and shooting threes, one through five, like, small ball, right? It's one through five, small ball, launching threes, everybody can shoot. They start draining them. It's hard for us to get back in. Garner Webb, too inverting kind of putting your they had a really good kind of uh six five post player Perez I think was his last name and he was able to kind of wheel and deal against the guards you know then start bodying people and then take the fives out on the perimeter drive by them you know but he was playing out of the post so those are kind of teams that gave us some interesting fits um but I don't know if there's necessarily one uh, team, I was trying to think back more of some of the games that were really hard for us to guard. Teams that do a lot of ball screen stuff, we actually eat up. Um, it's more of, especially when they're, they're non, non-shooting bigs. Um, but it's more of the backdoor cuts that get you guys, the guys that can go big. For sure, like teams that run like David Davidson or even any teams that run real, like really good, like Belmont. Belmont and Davidson are teams that were, you can't, can't be up the line anymore. you got to be in line, which kind of 
you have to change the pack line for those games, you know. So um, those teams give us fits. Um, there's there's some really good young coaches and old coaches out there. I don't know if there's one that necessarily stands out, but those are the kind of the two that pop in my head about, man, this stuff was just hard to guard. And Purdue, oh, good gracious, Purdue and their coach who went to uh, – I forgot his name to be honest. Uh, uh, not their head coach, the assistant that was at Purdue that went to Mercer, I believe. Um, but yeah, the stuff that they were running that year. Woo! Yeah. I mean, it was impressive the stuff they were running. Let's uh, let's talk about. I I can't stand the reputation that, that people talk about Virginia and how it's slow and it's terrible to watch and all that stuff. I mean, because I'm more of a of a defensive minded guy. I mean, I yeah. grew up. Um, but talk about you know how. I guess how frustrating that is and maybe some aspects of, of your game that, you know, diehard fans should appreciate. Yeah, honestly, I think it's a narrative that's a bit overrun at this point. If you look at those Ken Palm numbers of like average possession length of offense and defense, there's only a couple of teams that are kind of perennial powers that are really in the top 15. Some of the teams that lose the most games are, you'll find those teams up there in the fastest offensive possession like and you'll see some really freaking good teams down below you know we just try i think early on of course we had to play differently we can't play the same way if everyone plays the same way who's gonna win the teams that get the top five players in the country simple as that so when you're going up against those guys you need to find a way to be different and be successful in it and we try to just teach a cerebral band of basketball that's very efficient it's very high iq players and it's what the game is about setting screens, you know, pocket, crisp passing, making the right reads. It's the stuff that us basketball junkies and purists, we love, we're excited about, especially defensively. But what perception tells you is get down up and down the court, fast you can, fast you can, fast you can. No, you know, there's going to be times where a wide open transition three, yeah, if you got a shooter that can shoot that, let it fly. We're cool with that. But for the most part, more times than not, it's going to come down to the half court possession game. Can you take a team out of their half court stuff? Can you take them out of their, or can you take a team out of their transition stuff? You're in good shape, you know, because so many teams spend time just going up and down. Slow it down a little bit, it's a fish out of water. So that's what we do defensively. Um, and is it is it really a bad thing if we're making you take a long time on defense and like the point of our fans, fans really going, man, Virginia played 63 possessions of offense or 63 possessions in this game today and the other day it was 67. Like, who cares? Like, I mean, no one's really paying attention, but they're looking at these stats that come out that are like, oh, man, they're slow. Okay. Like, so the diff- we run our average offense was what, 21 seconds. The lead, the, I think the national average was like 17. So you're talking four seconds, and you're going to say there's a huge difference between four <laughs> seconds, four seconds, really. Like, if we're yeah, playing that long defense, we might need four seconds to catch our breath, and then we're at the – walking it up, and then we're at the normal average possession length. So, um, I think part of it, too, like even at the NBA level, people don't talk about the fact that when conference play hits in college basketball and when the playoffs hit in NBA basketball, all the possessions go down. Every – you know, all the offensive numbers go down. That's just how basketball works. Um, sure. Talk real quick about kind of the the – all the stuff that was going on in Charlottesville, I believe it was back in 2018, um, kind yeah. of the, kind of the unrest that was happening then, um, and, and also kind of mirroring that to now. Um, how did you guys talk to your players? What were those conversations like? Yeah, honestly, yeah, it was 2017, August 11, 2017, and uh, it was, man, it was it was a very very hard. Um, hard time for us um i want to make sure that was the yeah it was i mean it was really hard time for us as a program as a community as a everything i mean even in the world and it was just a hard thing to see you know it was you saw hate in its worst form um but it was it was uh very very powerful what came from it you know like we got to spend time coach Ben brought in the chief of police and a social justice advocate. And we, they, they were, they're friends with each other, but they're, they were opposed to each other's handling of the situation. 
and we got to listen to them kind of talking about everything that happened with that, you know? Um, and then uh, we got to just kind of open up to our players, like, tell us how you feel. You know, I think that's something Coach Ben's really big on is he wants to learn a lot about the individuals, not even about basketball, but about life. And you heard some of the treatment, the, the stereotypes, the biases that these, that some of our guys have faced growing up. And it just breaks your heart here. And then seeing what happened uh, uh, to George Floyd, I mean, that was awful to see, you know, and um, the coach took the same approach with, our staff individually, I mean, literally as players individually, as staff individually, staff collectively, and then as a team and staff. And it was just, just let's, everyone let's talk, like how can we be here for each other? But like talk first and foremost, open up about your emotions and um, how, how you're feeling about this issue. And man, we, we do need to bring about change. You know, we do, we got to stand up for what's right. And um, I think we're all trying to find our ways to not only just educate ourselves and not only just put out, statements of support but find ways to to be active in supporting um the african-american community during this time absolutely um so coach ben i had some some words about you that again pulled from that article you know he's talking about all lies <laughs> i doubt it uh he said that you know johnny's well liked he's a student of the game he's just continuing to grow and expand i like guys like that like guys who are hungry um, you're learning from one of the best in the game, if not the best, you know, coach in the college basketball game. A um, couple of things. What is your end goal? Um, how will your program be different if that's something that you want to do? And what are some of the important things that you'll carry over from the year? Man, that's a lot. Honestly, um, I have a dream to be a head coach. You know, I do. I think we all do. It's our, it is our goal to be a head college coach, head NBA coach. You know, I just, I want to compete. I remember writing down in college, I was like, I want to be the first person to coach a national championship team on the on men's college basketball, women's college basketball, NBA and WNBA. I don't know if that'll happen, but I want to <laughs> and I even threw in EuroLeague after that, after I got my fix. So those are going to be the ambitious. Those, those are the ambitious. I want to set the bar high in that regard. Like, there you go. I also know that I have a, I never thought I'd be here, man. I never thought I'd be in this position. I never thought I'd be able to even crack into this industry. So I truly, whatever happens, I want to work as hard as I can to those goals, but live under the freedom of knowing that if those goals never happen, I'm going to be okay because it's not about the goals. It's about the people, the players, the staffs, the relationships that you build. And over time, that's what I truly believe in, you know, um, and I just want to do my part to, help the coaches put up another banner, help the players not only put up another banner, but also reach their dreams collegially and professionally. Like I truly believe that that's, that's my goal. That's my goal every day. That's kind of how I approach the short term and kind of let the long-term stuff um, take care of itself. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna try to teach the pack line. Um, if it came, if, if, if I had a pro fortunate to have my own program, definitely post strapping we're maybe off ball trapping too. I think that's the next wave. Last uh, NBA playoffs was, and I don't think people really talked about as much, but how much off ball trapping there was getting the ball out of uh, Damian Lillard and Cesar McCollum's hands. I think that was with the Raptors. And um, I mean, they were post trapping, like it was crazy. It was so cool to see in a lot of ways. It actually reminded me of the pack, um, but I definitely carry that defensively. Um, and then even, even offensively, I think there's got to be a healthy mix of you have to wear people out and you have to open up the court. Um, but, yeah, I think one thing I'm going to – two things that – honestly, one your question reminded me of, like, what's something about Coach Ben that I think stands out the most? And two things come to mind. He has this ability to hyper-focus. I'm not close to that yet. This man's ability to focus – and give his 100%, I'm talking full everything, into a certain task is mind-blowing. He's unbelievably efficient, and he is so driven, but he can lock in like no other. He locks into the task, and literally, like it's like his body goes on autopilot for anything outside of that task. Like it's, It'll have conversations, but none of it's – I'm not saying none of it's real, but like it's just he's, you can tell he's in this – on game days, he's locked in. He's in the zone. You know, he's not – remembering like the casual conversation he's he's having he's like oh we talk oh i didn't even know like 
but it's just his ability to hyper-focus in the moment. But also just when he's with you and not even talking about basketball, he's so engaged. And then he remembers everything about that conversation. <laughs> that and then his ability to just be the most competitive person on the planet while also being so free from the end result has enabled him to like just thrive. And that's something that I want to try to carry out. Um, and I just want my players to know the truth. It's kind of like more of a, a thing reminds me of Coach Van, but also reminds me of Greg Popovich from just different books and podcasts about, I just want my players to know that I, that like, I love them to death, but I'm going to challenge them as much as I can, you know, and there's going to be, that's the best thing I can do, you know, truth and love, right? You push them. And I think ultimately, I think that's how I think we all want to be remembered that are by our players, right? And our players saying that, man, that dude cared about me. And man, that dude always pushed me to be the best I could be. So that's what I'd love to kind of, how I want my program to be remembered for if I ever get to that stage. Absolutely. Last question is, uh, give me give me two or three of your top you know, Twitter follows or podcasts or authors. Or... Um, I'm going to give you guys, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it up a bit. All right. I'm gonna mix it up a bit. Um I'm gonna say International Coach to Study for everybody. Andrea Trincheri. Watch him, his stuff's all that for sure. Oh, he's a freaking beast. He's Can you spell his name. Um A N D R E A space T R I N C H I E R I. Okay. Andrea Trincheri. Um he's coach at Partizan. He used to be the coach at Bros at Bomberg. But go back and watch the Bomberg stuff, watch the partisan stuff over the past few years. Phenomenal offensive mind. Um, I got my little stack of books over here that I've been going through. So I'm going to start. This is – everybody should read this. It's a quick read. Talent Code, Daniel Coyle. All right, after you read that, this is, this is the best-kept secret out there. Shout-out to Noah LaRoche. Um, the Playmaker's Advantage. Mm. must read but read after you read talent code it's a lot more pleasant to read that way <laughs> and then um daring greatly by Brene brown i think that's something that we can all learn to be um more vulnerable and connected um to not only ourselves but to our teams so those are kind of the three books that i would uh um i'd recommend reading kind of now um and then a couple more books, The Cubs Way, uh, I think by Tom Verducci is a great one. I'm not even a baseball guy. Sorry to the baseball fans out there, but I, I that book, I learned so much that you can, you can apply to your own team. And uh, for my soccer lovers out there, I don't know if I can pull this book out without the stack falling, but all right, let's see. Hold on a second. So, so my brother right now. <laughs> uh, this pep confidential. Um, I think you guys would love that. If you want to learn just about a non-basketball, I try to look at some basketball coaches, but I also try to look at non-basketball coaches. Um, so I've been trying to read more um, in terms of those, those types of things. And yeah, so study Andrea Trincheri and read those books. I, I lied. Last question for you. Cause I've, I've asked, oh, I guess this, uh, what sets the DMV apart? What, what makes the DMV different? Oh man. It's a way of life, man. If you don't, if you never grew up commuting on the metro as your main form of transportation across that whole area, that's how I view. It. If that, the way I think about DC is all metro map. <laughs> what line could I get on? What, where am I going? Am I going Orange Line, Vienna? All right, I'm gonna go to Fort Totten to school all the all the way on the red line. Across the looking where you're from too, and where you where you went to school. Um, so I'm from Great Falls, Virginia, which is, um, I guess, by the Reston Wheelie South. They didn't even have a metro there back in the day. Um, but I went to school in Maryland, D.C., growing up, just kind of elementary school in Maryland, then ended up going to St. Anselm's, um, a school run by Benedictine monks. It's not really known for having great athletics, but it's more known for having lots of nerds. And um, <laughs> I try to thrive on being a nerd that loves basketball, so. Um, nothing wrong with that in my book. There you go. And then, uh, I mean, you have the floor. If you, if you have a rant or anything you want to you talk about. Yeah, I mean, honestly, just 
for anybody, whether you're young, whether you're older, whoever's listening in, chase your dream, man. Chase it. Don't have any regret. Whatever it is, grind. Find a way to make your dream a reality because it can happen. It can happen through hard work, determination, and also through treating people well. Like I would never gotten here if it wasn't for people looking out for me. So always look to kind of do your part to be a helping hand to help people on the way. But don't be afraid. Don't let fear, fear isn't real. There is nothing on the other side of fear. We build up fear in our head of, I don't know if I'm going to get this job. I don't know if I'm cut out for this man. I don't know if I can be a GA. Oh, and like, and money, don't even worry about money starting out. Money will come no matter what you do, but don't let money be the sign factor. Follow your heart and chase that dream. And you can make it a reality. It'll, it may be really hard. Whatever that dream is, you can actually get in, especially when it comes to sports and basketball, but also outside of it. Don't be afraid to take that extra hard challenge and meet, make it a reality. You can do it. It's all, we're, it's all at your fingertips. Any book, any clinic, reaching out to people, don't be afraid to reach out to people, build that network. I'll always be a resource. Um, you can email me. Uh, my email's on the UVA website, jac5au at virginia.edu. But don't be afraid. Follow your dream and go for it. Go guns a blazing for it. And even if you fall flat on your face, but you chased it. And I guarantee you, you're not as far away from you where you think you for your dream. You may think your dream is so far away from you. You're not nearly as far away as you think. You're not necessarily as close as you, you are, right? But you're not nearly as far away. But anybody can make it happen. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah, bro. Talk soon. Yeah.